Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I am Joe Devine and this podcast is supported by The Athletic. The Athletic is home to the best coverage of your club by a world-class team of writers, including many of your favourites from across the Premier League. Get reading now with your... Th- uh, yeah, indeed, Alex gestures at Michael over there. Uh, get reading now with your 30-day free trial by visiting theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO and getting 50% off if you sign up before the end of August. The Athletic, the new home of football writing and new home to Michael Cox, who was our guest today. Thank you so much for coming, Michael. Thanks for inviting me, Joe. Cheers. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm pleased to have football back. Yeah. You know, I, I, a combination of the, the new job and just, you know, how you feel every summer. Like, I get bored of the transfer stuff and the speculation stuff and just keen to watch matches. So, yeah. So you had a good weekend then, watching the football? Yeah, I was at Bournemouth, uh, Sheffield United on Saturday afternoon. Oh, cool. okay. um, so doing the three o'clock game means you can't really watch the other, you know, the televised games properly. Yeah. Um, and then obviously watched uh, both the Sunday games. So Great. yeah, a good weekend. Okay. And Alex Stewart is here also. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Good. Did you watch the football? No. Okay. Well, that's a great start, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, today's... Not, not, not when it went out. Retrospectively, I've watched some football. Okay. Well, today's episode, we are answering various uh, tactical questions that have been sent in by the viewers. We're delighted to have uh, Michael here to help us with this. Michael, also, you have your new role at The Athletic, which has started in the last few weeks. How's that all going? Good? Yeah, it's going good. It's um... Your pieces have been amazing by the way i've really really enjoyed reading them thank you very much yeah i mean uh it was cool i mean a few of us started kind of three weeks before launch date so we had we had a few weeks to kind of get some good content up for the first week mm. but uh yeah it's it's been really exciting to be part of and okay. uh hopefully if people have logged on they see that there's you know a slightly different type of story that has gone up we tried to you know th- today's been interesting because it's been the first premier league match day and we're basically not doing match reports in their kind yeah. of traditional form. So it's been interesting to see how people have approached it from different ways. And, you know, I guess I have a natural, you know, that's what I've been doing before, you know, doing the tactical analysis side of things rather than just a straight match report. But for other journalists to have the kind of freedom to mm. to do kind of quirky features, I think will be really interesting this yeah. season. It's great. Okay, well, listen, the first question then goes directly to you, Michael. Uh, this is from... Wandering Propeller. Wandering Propeller asks, are you ever going to return to updating zonal marking on a regular basis? I've always found the match analyses there were very insightful and top-notch and Wandering Propeller has spelt analyses correctly as well, which I always think makes for an intelligent person. Yeah, fair play. Uh, probably not regularly. Um, zonal marking was your tactics blog, wasn't it? Is that where you yeah. started writing? Yeah, so yeah. that's where it started. And uh, So I've, I've done a couple of books. The second one came out in the summer, which is called Zonal Marking. So I think that's... Mm. It's a good way to not end it, but, you know, leave it kind of hanging there. But uh, with the stuff with The Athletic, I think it's going to be pretty much the kind of thing I was doing on, on Zonal Marking. Yeah. So um, so probably won't be updating that much, but uh, same kind of content elsewhere. Okay, well, Wandering Propeller, you should go to uh, www.theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO. <laughs> Take advantage of our very, I mean, it's not our very generous offer, it's The Athletic's very generous offer, and uh, essentially read Zonal, zonal Marking there. Uh, question number two is from R. Chambers. Do you think that the Jorginho role is very important for every 4-3-3 formation, even if that means you're sacrificing a central defensive midfielder role in the formation? Should we start with you, Michael, on that one? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's an interesting debate. I mean, the thing with Chelsea last year was was really interesting. I thought with with Jorginho playing there instead of Kante and Kante playing higher up. I realise this is kind of last season's debate now because it looks like Lampard's going to play with two players there. But it just depends on the feel of the side, I think. I mean, Chelsea was an interesting case because it was the first time really that they'd appointed a manager who was just committed to playing kind of possession football, front foot football. And for me, it's just obviously hard to play with Jorginho there because he's just so much more comfortable in possession. Not just his passing ability, but the way he receives the ball. You know, I think that's a really crucial thing of a holding midfielder these days. If you're playing out from the back, a holding midfielder's got to be so comfortable receiving the ball with his back to play when he's being pressured. He's got to be able to get past the press. And, and Jorginho, I think, is really good at that. He maybe didn't get to the level at Chelsea as, as he was at Napoli, but I thought if you want to play that kind of football, you can't really have a player like Kante there. And Kante is very good on the ball, but he's good in a different way. And I think he's also, he needs to be kind of playing in a mobile role. And And I thought that Sarri kind of found the right balance between them last season. Mm. People people were certain that it hadn't really worked out, though. What, what was your impression of Jorginho at Chelsea last season? I mean, I think he took a while to, to settle in and there were a couple of difficult games he had. I think that 6-0 at City was a really tough game for him. Do you think he was targeted by opposition as well as a kind of key creative figure on, on the Chelsea team? I think, yeah, there were a few games where he was pressed really heavily. I think in uh, I think West Ham did it very effectively. But I thought he was actually very unfortunate because he he ended this... I mean, one, his job isn't to assist, really. It's to play the earlier passes. And he ended the season without any assists, which people kind of you know, made a thing of. But when you look at his expected assist statistics, as some of us like to do, <laughs> uh, he should have ended with like six or seven assists. And it was yeah. just the fact that Higuain was missing chances, Murata was missing chances, even Hazard and... and um, uh, Giroud yeah. uh, had some really uh, some really good chances that were played from Jorginho that they that they fluffed and right. and that wasn't his fault. So yeah, I just think it depends on the on the feel of your side. But do you think that's an example of this happens sometimes? I think in football where maybe the the answer to a particular question is slightly more complex than it is presented to be initially, and then the narrative sort of takes over for the rest of the season. Which in some cases you might think even could affect the players themselves if they're yeah. receiving that. Yeah, and I think because Kante is so popular here, a lot of people were just confused to see him in a different position, but he had never really played as the, the, the kind of sole-holding midfielder anyway. I mean, he did that for about four or five games for, for Conte when Conte first came to to Chelsea, but then they moved away from that system and, and people had agreed that it, it hadn't really worked for him there. So it's interesting that Lampard looks like he's going to play with the two. Obviously, Kante didn't play yesterday. Yeah, Played with uh, Kovacic and, and Jorginho, which is like, Super technical, you know, really. I thought I, Chelsea started really well against Manchester United. I was really impressed with them. But obviously Kante will come back in. and A lot of space in the middle, wasn't there, for both teams? Yeah, I mean, they were, I thought the sides were were quite disorganised, particularly Manchester United. I yeah. Mean, I, I think it's the worst 4-0 win I've, I've seen <laughs> for a long time. But um, I was thinking that about uh, Liverpool and the first half against Norwich as well. Not quite as bad, but yeah. uh, that it was, seemed bizarre that it had even made it to four. Well, actually, Liverpool, Liverpool's 4-0 against Barcelona was kind of like that for the right. first half as well. Yeah. But they scored the early goal, but then busted so many chances. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm really interested to see what Lampard does with Jorginho and, and Kante because they, they are two very different players and... Uh, two players I really like mm. and um, it looks like Jorginho will get a good run in the side I was a little bit afraid that Lampard would almost look to move him on as a kind of symbolic thing like this was 
you know, this was Sari's guy. Yeah. He was trying, he was the guy who was meant to epitomise the Sari way, didn't quite work out. Let's move him on to show that we're moving on. Well, do you think maybe if there wasn't a transfer ban, he might have done that? Maybe. It's, it's, it's tough to say, but um, yeah, it looks like he'll get a good run in the team, which is cool. Okay. Uh, so do you think that every team needs to have a Jorginho role with the, the deeper spot there? No, I'd agree with Michael in the sense that I think every team needs a Jorginho style player if that is the type of football they want to play. If it's the idea of collecting from the back and then creating these kind of penetrative passes and, and moving it up, sort of press and possess style. I think the, the, the fact is that there are lots of different ways of playing a 4-3-3 and they don't have to rely on that player. And I think it's it's again this thing that we were talking about last week in terms of positions and roles and you the the important thing to do is to create a balanced midfield mm-hmm. um so you know if you have for example and you look at what what napoli did when Jorginho was there there were three different players in that midfield three first choice Jorginho, alan and then hamshek and they all did different things but they did complementary things and it was predicated on the style that the team was trying to play so you need to sort of construct your midfield because it's arguably it's the most important area of the pitch because it's the bit that transitions from one to the other. You need to think about how am I looking to do this and what sort of balance do I want to achieve within that? It may be that you want two destroyers because you've got one player who's effectively playing as a 10 and pushing really, really high up and everything comes down the flanks. It may be that you need a Jorginho. It may be that your deepest defender or your deepest midfielder is someone like a Lucas Toussaint who has two much more progressive midfielders alongside him so the deepest one is the destroying player it, it just depends on on what system you're seeking to put in okay well I hope you're happy with that RC 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 Ambers or R Chambers I guess it's probably R Chambers isn't it probably. Tom Wright we've seen Deli Alley deployed as a second striker central attacking midfielder and partner in a double pivot during his time at Spurs. Which position do you think provides the greatest benefit to the team based on his playing attributes and statistical analyses? Uh, in brackets, if you want any help with that. Key passes, dribbles, chances created, assists, goals, etc. Goals included there. Thank you, Tom Wright. Michael? He's a funny player, Deli Ali, because I, I quite like him as a, when he plays deep. You is know? he Sorry, is he injured? He, he wasn't in the team, was he? Uh... I haven't seen the Spurs game. Okay. I don't think he played. Didn't play? No. no. Okay. I, know. I probably I'm should have checked that before we started. I've interrupted you, but do. do yeah, no, I'm, I'll watch that game uh, tomorrow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a... I, one, I really like him as a player. And I think he can... I've been impressed when he has played deep because I think he's got the intelligence to receive the ball. He's quite combative. You know, I think he offers defensive protection. And I really like him in the opposition box as a kind of late-running almost goal poacher, the kind of goals he scores. Yeah. So you'd kind of think that because he can do those two things, that his natural position would be as a, as a number 10, where he can do a little bit of both. But I think when he plays in that number 10 role, he kind of gets, I think he struggles to influence the game. I think he kind of gets squeezed out, whether it's about, you know, not always finding the space or, or for whatever reason, I, I, I think he's better in either of the two roles. I prefer him either right up the pitch, just off Kane or really deep. Mm. Um, so yeah, he's he's an interesting player. I, I I personally am not entirely sure which is his best position. 
But I think because you can do those two things, you've you've got options with him. Mm. There was interesting about watching, and you haven't seen it, but watching the Spurs game, uh, and I think people picked up on this afterwards as well, was that they really didn't look like scoring or creating much before Ericsson was brought on. And I think mm. many of the supporters afterwards, and you know, this is one game, so it's very difficult to draw conclusions, but many of the supporters afterwards were thinking, uh, thank God that he didn't actually leave. I mean, that, partly, of course, that will be due to Deli Alley's absence as well. But when you take Ericsson out of the team and Deli Alley too, there really didn't seem to be that much. I mean, also Son wasn't there. Yeah. He's pretty tired probably from last season. Uh, but uh, there really didn't seem to be that much going on. Someone's suspended. Oh, was he? Yeah. And he's I, also tired, though. He's also tired, but he'll get over that because he's suspended. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Ali's got a thigh injury. Um, okay. Come back in a couple of weeks' time, right, okay. according to physio room. Right. Um, uh, what do you think, though? What's his natural position, do you think? Well, it's interesting because if you, if you compare his stats, I, I went on to Scout and had a look and divided it up by position, and you can see almost a statement of the obvious you can see a good player who is good at different things depending on where he plays it's not like there's a massive drop off in how he affects the rest of the team based on whether he's deeper or or further up the pitch Mm. so I think again what you're looking at if you're Spurs is to say well here is someone who is very talented who works well within our system and who understands it who else have we got that we're building around that um, so, you know, he makes fewer passes when he's further up the pitch, actually carries the ball less often when he's further up the pitch, which is quite interesting. Um, but he is more penetrative and he's making these runs off the ball, which we've talked about before, is not something mm-hmm. that, that gets captured in statistics. Um, goals and assists, the higher up the pitch he is, the more he contributes there. But then if you're looking at Spurs, you say, well, you know, does does Kane need somebody alongside him? How are we going to use Moura? How are we going to use Lamella? Is the midfield balance okay with Ndombele plus whoever goes alongside him? Where does Ericsson fit into that? And I think Ali... that's part of it, isn't it? Because Lucas Moura really came came into himself towards the end of last season. Yeah. Um, and Son as well has been steadily improving over the last couple of years. I think you sometimes see it with players, and we were talking outside earlier about Lingard, um, who, again, is a kind of a, a positionally flexible and an intelligent player. In a, in a similar sort of way to Deli Alley, that they they can become crucial for a team because of that flexibility, but it sometimes means that it's hard to nail down where their actual best position is, and their best position is almost the position that serves the other interests of the team and where everybody else is going to fit in, mm. rather than going right. Well, Deli Alley's brilliant at X, therefore we'll put him there. And then try and work out where everyone fits around him. Yeah. And I think that can sometimes be the downside of being such a flexible player, is that you sort of get pushed around a little bit. The TIFO Football Podcast is supported by The Athletic. It's the best place to read about football online. Whether it is uh, one of Michael Cox's articles, for example, The Rule Change. I forgot what the title was, but it's all about how you have the centre-backs in the uh, you can they can receive the ball in the box from the goalkeeper now and how it changes tactics michael yeah it was i think it was quite an interesting rule check i mean first of all i don't think there was any the rules for me serve no purpose so it kind of makes sense it kind of makes sense back in the old days where it was before the bat pass rule so it's basically it was basically brought in to prevent cheating almost from bat passes so rather than just you couldn't just tap the ball to defender from a goal kick, he could give it back to you and you could pick it up and run to the edge of the box with it. But then once the back pass rule came in and you couldn't do that anyway, 
there was no need for the ball to have to leave the box. So it was kind of just a correction. But I think it's, it's quite interesting. I mean, obviously it means you can pass the ball to a defender who's inside your box. That's the basic thing. But I think it's... And the attackers can't come in, but they can presumably as soon as you pass the ball. As soon as you pass the yeah. ball, yeah. So I, I just think it will make it really difficult to press because the, the attackers have to cover that. It's a big space, the penalty box, yeah. you know, in terms of width as well as the 18 yards. And if you're having to press that space as well, um, I just, I, I think it's going to mean more gaps in midfield, basically. Yeah. Because if, usually, if, if you're, pre- you know, you want your team to be compact. But if you're having to press that high and your defenders can't can't advance in part because you can't be offside from a goal kick. Yeah. So City do the thing where they just arrow it forward from Edison. So the team's having to cover such a long uh, space on the pitch that there's just going to be more gaps in midfield, I think. So yeah. I think we'll see... Uh, in the early days, I think we'll see goalkeepers playing it short, but I think also we'll see goalkeepers really pinging good 30, 40 yards right. balls to players who you know, then have more space than they have at any other point in the game. So it's quite a subtle thing, but I think it will It's amazing what, things. I mean, I love whenever there's a, a slight change to the rules in football, what a massive difference it could make to how the game is played. Yeah. I think, I think it's amazing. So a good example of that, and this is quite a random thing, but, um, you know, three years ago, they changed the, the rules so that the kind of double jeopardy thing. So if, you, uh, if, you, if you're the last man, you don't get sent off. Yeah if you can see the penalty kind of thing. That was a year ago, I think, wasn't it? Was it the beginning of last season? No, three years ago. Was it really three? Yeah, yeah. Crikey, where's the time go? And in that time, no goalkeeper in the Premier I think I'm right to say, no goalkeeper in the Premier League has been sent off. Right. And usually you'd have you know, goalkeepers getting sent off was a right. fairly regular occurrence, but that hasn't happened in the three years. Well, whether it's that or it's dedicated local reporting about your team, or it's rich storytelling from around the world. You will find it all in one place, and you can get 50% off if you sign up before the end of August. That also includes a 30-day free trial. So do do that. Go to www.theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO and sign up there and read more of Michael's things because they're fascinating. Next question is from Jordan Dennison. Uh, Jordan Dennison says, and I can't say this man's name. I thought I could, but the commentator said it very differently the other day. With Zhao Cancelo, it's always what I thought it was. How do, what do you think? That's That's what say. Yeah, the commentator said something very well, different. Which one? Which one did he say differently? His surname or the surname? He said Zhao. I thought it was, it was just Cancelo. Yeah, it's, well, it's one L. Yeah. Well, well, anyway, Zhao Cancelo joining City, the new fullback. Are they now assured of playing a 3-5-2 with Mendy on the other side and Walker at centre-back? Or is this a signing Pep has made to add leverage to his love of rotation? Well, they didn't do that at the weekend, but that presumably is because Mendy is not available. Would you like me to check? <laughs> given, that, <laughs> given that I've got the website up. Well, yeah. Alex is checking, Michael. Hold on. Can you give us the correct answer? Oh, go away. Well, I guess it's an option. He's um, out, yes. He's out, yes. Yes. Yeah, I guess there's an option. Um, he's been out quite a lot, though, hasn't he? Yeah, Mendy? since he signed, I mean, he's he was injured almost all his first year. Yeah. And second year was in and out. I think, you know, Guardiola has expressed some concerns about his his discipline, you know. But also, so. if you're Guardiola and you manage Manchester City with the access to funds available, why wouldn't you just buy another fullback anyway? If, you're, if, you, if the one you have has potential discipline issues maybe and uh, is unavailable through injury, just buy another one. <laughs> He's stockpiling them. Win it, win it now and prevent the other clubs from having uh, excellent fullbacks. Yeah, I mean, they lost, you know, Danilo 
departed when when Cancelo came in, and I think he's basically you know an upgrade on Danilo more than anything else. But yeah, it's an option to play the three five two. I must say when they did it at the start of not last season but the season before, I wasn't I wasn't overwhelmingly convinced by it. I I, th- I think it tends to be a a formate. Well, more than anything else, I think you lack width high up the pitch when you play right. that. And that, for me, has been the defining feature of Guardiola City with the with the front three. Right. So, I guess it's an option, but I'm not sure that it's going to be the default system. But what kind of changes would it make to the to the system generally? Because we try to talk a lot about how, you know, about the differences that formations make, but also yeah. they aren't the sort of it's not the be all and end all of what happens on the pitch. They mostly look like that when they're defending, not when they're attacking. So, how big a change if City were to play like that? Do you think we would see to their, their build up and the rest of it? Well, I think it was, uh, I mean, one of the key things that they've done is is kind of combining in behind the opposition defence with the wide forwards, you know, the De Bruyne or Silva pass to a wide forward and then square it across the box. So I think of that as the, the main feature of the team, so they wouldn't be doing that as much. I think the, the interesting thing that comes into it is, it looks like Sané is going to be out for yeah, half a season, season yeah. or more. And... I mean, he he was really crucial in in the way that they play. I know he was in and out of the side, but when he didn't play, Guardiola was keener to play Mendy as if he needs some level of pace and directness down the left. So Mm. maybe that will mean we see Mendy more than Guardiola would have expected and less of Zinchenko, you know, is more of a a playmaker almost. So maybe that will convince him to, to play that way. But I don't think it will be... You know, the question frames it as like, that would be the default nailed on style. I'm not sure that would be the case. What do you think, Alex? Uh, yeah, I think that's that's true. I mean, if you look at if you look at Guardiola at Bayern, he he became less um what's the word I'm looking for? It's not it's not flexible or adaptable, because that, that's the wrong way of putting it. He became less experimental almost. Okay. I think when he first got into Bayern and now, you know, there are lots of players that he wouldn't necessarily have chosen. He was trying different midfield balances and this, that and the other and, and trying to work out what the best fit was. And as he passed through those three years, he seemed to be refining the system increasingly and settling more on a particular approach with a particular set of players as a kind of ideal scenario. And there were still changes now and again because he does like to have the ability to make changes in response to certain match conditions. And I think we're we're probably more likely to see the use of a 3-5-2, for example, in a Champions League fixture where there's there's a, a particular kind of threat to counter. Mm. Um, but I think if anything, actually, he's almost less likely to do that now that he's in his third season with City and kind of bedded in and really has a proper grip of the squad and, and what it's able to do. Um, I mean, I agree with Michael in terms of so much of City's overall attacking style is to have kind of basically one of those two 10-8 midfielders sat back and then a line of slightly jagged line of four ahead of that. And, and it gives those options and they're looking for width and then pulling back. Um, and I think you're asking an awful lot of wing backs to be able to get up and provide those same sort of what we call deep completed passes or crosses coming in from the side and then mm. finding players in the box. So it, it strikes me that it's unlikely that they'll do that unless it's a very specific scenario. But then Guardia, he does like to have that kind of flexibility in his squad and, and the ability to be able to mess things up every now and again. Sometimes actually to his own detriment, I think. 
I think occasionally he kind of almost gets that urge to just be a little bit more experimental than he needs to be. Cheever Steel. Cheever Steel. What role does fashion play in tactical thinking? Many teams seem to imitate whoever wins the Champions League. Can you think of individu- individual, excuse me, individualistic coaches winning the unfashionable formations and tactics? That's an interesting question, isn't it? I suppose that's true. We do seem to see uh, trends, but are they trends for good reasons rather than is imitating or is it uh, trends? There are fashions, there are certain styles that, that I think gain prominence and, and it, probably the reason that Champions League teams are influential is because they're provably successful and therefore you want to try and imitate them, although it hasn't really happened with Real Madrid because that you know they've done things in a different way. But if you look at the impact of Guardiola's um, Barcelona at the same time or, or just after the, you know, the Spanish national side was playing that particular style, you did see the kind of the development of positional play and possession football in that style kind of proliferating. But my attitude is always that, that football is, it's a series of questions posed by one team that the other team tries to answer and vice versa. So I don't think there's anything necessarily about fashion in the sense that there will always be other coaches Hats. whose answer to what? Hats, maybe. Just trying to think of things that are related to fashion. Hats. Right. Capes, maybe? No. A cape? Um, there'll always be other managers whose answer to that question because of the type of players that they have or because of their own coaching background or whatever it is something which is unfashionable. Mm-hmm. So I think it's less about fashion and more about if, if you have a particular style that because it's at a club that has a lot of really great players. And also I think it's, if it's attractive, that's often something that, yes. that gains currency. People will rush towards doing that but then mm. you'll see I mean it's an interesting point based on what you were saying about the the changes in goal kick rules you know pressing has been very fashionable and because it's provably successful and teams have integrated it to a greater or lesser degree a lot of them will this change in the rule see uh, you know a fullback so that there isn't quite as much pressing in the final third from those sort of scenarios teams will have to adapt and that may change the fashion around that particular style whereas there are also other teams that don't press at all and that's you know that's their kind of style fashion so when i think of unfashionable football systems that are successful i think sean Sean dice (laughs) am i right michael cox yeah i guess so i think um yeah they play in a slightly different way obviously but uh or am i buying into the media narrative that they are that they are different and that they're uh doing something harder salt of the earth well, I think that there are a lot of things to admire about the way that Burnley is set up. I mean, d- defensively, their record tends to be very good. Um, I mean, I think there's been a, you know, a slightly different strand of football strategy that has kind of run throughout the decades. I'd say that kind of really has been epitomized by Atletico Madrid and Diego Simeone, who has, has often used a 4-4-2, really compact 4-4-2, has not been interested in possession, but have been really, really well organized and good at pressing when they need to. And I think you can you can say a similar thing about Ranieri's Leicester, who played in that kind of style. And I think I think Daesh's sides are very very well uh, well organised. And um, yeah, of course that's that's not the fashionable way to play. Why isn't it though? Is it because they can't be as good as the teams that, like at the very top level? Because I mean, Diego Simeone is someone that we see linked with with other jobs at the top level from time to time. Sean Dyche, though is an example of someone who you feel like 
isn't isn't going to be offered a job at uh, one of the top six clubs, for example, whether that is because of the style of football that he plays or because of, of uh, because of the type of his type of character, for example, maybe you know bleeding into the idea of being fashionable or unfashionable. But do you think at the very very top level, a team that plays like a Guardiola team has more capacity to do do more or reach greater heights? And that's a subjective thing, but reach greater heights than a Diego Simeone team, or is that is that just unfair and ridiculous? I I guess it's kind of true. Um, I mean, I think with Dyche, the reason that he won't get a a job with a top six team is he hasn't proven he can work with top players, and I think that is you know there's question marks about whether that can work tactically, but also whether whether he can man-manage those players. But I mean, in terms of, to go back to the question, the one example of a real trend, I think, would be, uh, you know, when Antonio Conte came to England and after five games switched to three at the back. And I don't think any, I think maybe one side had played that. Was it Wigan who played that way the previous season? Can't remember. But there was one was side right, who, yeah. who played... Hull, I think, as oh, well. Oh, Hull, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Martinez had left Wigan. It was Hull. Um and then that proved just so popular. They won, what, 12 games in a row, whatever it was. And then there was a weekend in February, it must have been 2017, where it had been so popular that I think 13 of the 20 teams played a three-man defence. And now I think there'll be two or three teams who, who play that way. So that was a real sudden trend. A flash in the pan. Yeah, so you do get those kind of, you know, brief trends, almost for the sake of trends, whereas, you know, there are also some more kind of long-term logical shifts in strategy that do owe you know something to to rule logical, changes maybe as well to rule changes or you know improvements in fitness has, has certainly led to the rise of pressing or mm. um or just you know tr- it's maybe not the case anymore but the main thing that, that caused tactical change in the first 15 uh, 10 15 years of of the premier league i'd say was just foreign players coming over and playing in a slightly different way and and people wanting to find their equivalents mm. um so yeah, I think it's a fair fair question whether all the trends are kind of logical or whether they are just let's copy them because they're successful. Yeah, I think I think that's true. And you could, I mean, your Conte example again, you know, three at the back has, has predominantly been popular in Italy and Germany um, in in quite different styles, albeit. But I think it's one of those things where a team sees something being successful because other teams aren't equipped to adjust to it immediately. Um, because um, particularly defensively, it probably takes quite a long time to to adapt. I think it's also interesting in terms of of looking at the players that you've got, and that football clubs will have a shift, particularly if there's a manager who's been there for a long time, where the manager starts coaching a particular kind of way, maybe because the players are a little bit limited, and then there's a, a slight expansion in that style, where particularly if you bring in like an attacking player who's got a bit more flair and, and you get a kind of very gradual evolution but Simeone's you know Simeone's defensive principles are what they are and if you get somebody of the quality of Griezmann before he left you know you can then start to build in mm. an attacking element to that but the principles underlying and it'll be interesting for example to see how Burnley bring McNeil in this season mm-hmm. who's kind of the, you know the only player that they've got who's flair in any particular way yeah um uh, you know, will that mean that there's a, a change, or will the the unit remain pretty much as it was and solid? And then he's the guy who gets to, mm. you know, run around and do what he wants to do. Yeah, I hope so. I do like it when they run around. Yeah, but it's it's That's like Leicester when Leicester won the title. You know, it was, it was predicated very much on on happening to have 
I mean, I say happening to have like the result of astute recruitment, but having a couple of players that could do things exceptionally well and the rest of the team being really quite kind of functional Mm. um, and and set up to protect the rest of the pitch to allow those players to excel. Mm. Um, That's fascinating stuff. This is never... Hello, listeners. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Um, How does the offer of free beer sound to you? Ignore the rustling in the background. I'm just looking at the free beer. All you need to do is go to, and I'm going to make this very, very abundantly clear. It's www.beer52, but where 52 is numerical, .com forward slash TIFO. uh, And cover just... Four ninety five for the postage. Um, so Joe's now opening. Oh shit! Beer. Uh, he s- swore already. It's so too early for the beer. <laughs> it's too early for. The- Were you not telling me how uh, over Mango the weekend milkshake. you'd um, you'd drunk considerable quantities of of alcohol? <laughs> no, we don't talk about that in the advert for the beer. <laughs> okay. Listen, this one's by Tiny Rebel, Le Brasier du Mont. Okay. Mango Milkshake IPA. I don't know if you can see that there. So right. you keep, where, where do they source their beer, Alex? Um, I'll keep drinking. Do you know what I was just about to tell you? Um, they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Yeah. Um, they deliver eight craft beers with different themes every... Stop doing that because I'm reading important information. Just trying another beer. Oh, God. Um, eight different craft beers with different mm. themes each month. Past themes have included California, Norway, Belgium, Amsterdam, and even Norway. This one's the the NB beer. Right. Um, I don't know what that means. So when you go and do the thing, beer52.com forward slash TIFO, they'll send you a box. That's nice. With beer from all over Europe. Also a magazine. Ferment. That would be it, yes. Yeah. It's it's a an award-winning craft beer magazine. Basically, these guys potter around and find really great beer um, from small batch breweries on planet Earth, it says. Boss Brett, this one looks cool, uh, but you they're free and you just pay the postage and packaging. I haven't got a bottle opener. That's a shame. <laughs> there's, a lot, there's some cans in here, though. Um, so you can only get one of these per household if you're a new customer. Um, oh, Vienna. Oh, that's a mid-year song, isn't it? Ultravox. Is it? Oh, Vienna. This is a nice one. Do, do, uh, do, do, do. In collaboration do, with Bivog Brauhaus. That will have to pay the royalties for the song. Oh, right. Okay. Even with me singing it. Yeah. Um, right. So if you choose to stay once you've had your free offer, which I would encourage everyone to partake of, providing it's one per household and they are a new customer. That one's nice. You can then get eight craft beers, Ferment Magazine, and a snack... Here's the snack. This beer is called Spread of Democracy. Um, for just £24, um, which is great. Listen to this, though. Spread of Democracy, 5.3% ABV, uh, Baltic Porter with spruce tips and juniper berries. Okay. Oh, lovely. What else? We, I don't want to open all the beers because I want to drink. actually drink some. Right. Um, I, I mean, I think I've sort of covered everything oh freedom of movement beer way to get political beer 52 right i like it though i'd like to point out two additional things Mm. um that this is a trial thing and you can leave your subscription at any point although obviously you're not going to want to because beer is great uh and also that that these are for everyone 
They have been chosen with I'd the world so. in mind. Right, keep talking for a minute while I try the chickpeas. Um, okay, so I'm just going to remind everybody that they need to go to www.beer52 with 52 as numbers. <laughs> the chickpeas. Forward slash Tifo <laughs> to get your first case of eight beers for free. And don't forget... Sign up in the next two weeks and get an extra two unmissable beers for free. That's www.beer52.com forward slash TIFO. Those are very noisy, well, aren't they? And I, you know how I feel about... Do you want some? No, I, I don't like chickpeas. They're actually very nice. If you're having a party or, you know, you're getting... To, tell you what, if you're getting together to watch the football at some point this season, you know what I'm saying, with some friends... You want to have, and, and you don't want to do the normal thing. You should try this because it's yeah. only four ninety five for uh, for delivery. You get them the next day. I think there's ten beers in here and their little thing of snacks, and of course the ferment ferment magazine. And you get to taste nice, some strange beers. Are, the, are some of them strange? They're, well, they're not. They're not. They're not the sort of beers you'd find in the supermarket. Oh, okay, yes. There, some of them have uh, have a delicious but unusual flavours. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, do that. That's do that. Beer fifty two. That's beer five two. Yes, it is. Forward yes. slash tifo. Yes. It's free apart from the delivery. So go and do that. Do it and support tifo by doing it. Thank you very much. Uh, the next question comes from Morgan Moriarty. What sort of problems will the abnormal tact abnormal the abnormal tactics of Sheffield United bring to the established Premier League teams next season? I suppose this is not that dissimilar to what we were saying. Uh, and what problems will the same tactics cause Sheffield against the top eight? Michael, will you explain to me what uh, inverted centre backs are? Because or is it inverted <laughs> overlapping overlapping, overlapping centre backs? Because uh, lots of people keep saying that at me, and I don't know what they mean. I think a lot of the people who are saying it don't know what it means. Okay, either. <laughs> just... it, we can we can have it cleared up for all of us. That'd be great. You, yeah, look, thr- you look thrilled to talk about it. No, I mean it, it. It kind of does what it says on the tin, really. I mean, they, you know, it was a tactic that came around because Chris Wilder um, found that it was, you know. Sheffield United was struggling to break down deep defences and, and his his um, solution to that was was to push one of the centre-backs forward. You know, on the overlap, the wing-back would kind of drift inside, often end up in goal-scoring positions, and one of the centre-backs would get into a crossing position, um, which has worked well because they've got the players with the attributes to do it. I mean, O'Connell's got a, a good left foot and, and Basham is uh, very effective as well in the final third. So... Because it became successful, they kind of use it a little bit more in in counter attacking situations as as a part of their general approach, and um, it has proved quite difficult to deal with. I mean, uh, it was hugely successful in the championship, and it sounds very risky defensively, but they had an excellent defensive record in the championship. I think they conceded something like fifteen or twenty goals fewer than Norwich. Yeah, yeah. by far the best of the promoted sides. Yeah. So um, Norwich not such a good uh, <laughs> watermark. Though. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's fair as well. Um, so yeah, I was I was at um, Bournemouth on Saturday to see how it how it worked in uh, in the Premier League. I think they played it a little bit more conservatively than than before. Whether that will be a you know whether they've reined it in because they're in the Premier League or whether it was the first day and they were a little bit nervous but they did it a couple of times O'Connell overlapped and they had a, a decent chance that went just wide of the far post midway through the first half there were a couple of other moments where Basham went forward but um, 
yeah, they reined it in a little bit. And I think that Wilder is, a, I think, a really astute manager. I mean, like really bright. And um, they've changed the system slightly. They were playing with a number 10 for uh, throughout preseason. And, and for the Bournemouth game, they played with one holding midfielder and two just ahead. So um, I thought they had some problems with the connection between midfield and attack, you know, because they're used to playing with number 10. There were probably too many long balls, more than Wilder would have wanted. But um, they weren't really exposed by the by the overlapping centre-backs thing. But it's it's interesting, you know. It's a, it's a thing that obviously sometimes you, you do see centre-backs going forward, but not with the level of, uh, you know, it's just such a deliberate plan. Mm. It's not like we've just given you f- freedom to go forward when you want. It's that is part of our tactic to get you guys in crossing positions. So I think it's really interesting. Is it the sort of thing that could be applied to, to other teams or as a, as a tactic more generally uh, to create overloads elsewhere? Or... Is it something, as you kind of hinted at, that maybe it's specific because they have Sheffield, uh, Sheffield United have the personnel that can make that sort of system work? Yeah, I mean... Could Guardiola pick it up, is what I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, you need technically good defenders. And there's more technically good defenders in the Premier League than there's ever been. So it was quite interesting to see against Bournemouth because Bournemouth... So Eddie Al played a, a 3-4-3 and kind of surprised Wilder with that. He was expecting him to play 4-4-2 and I think that was another reason why the centre-backs were reluctant to go forward. But on the on the other side, what it showed was um, Bournemouth had two really good wide centre-backs who, who were comfortable in possession. So Mefimo, I don't know much about, um, but I gather he's excellent at pushing forward on, on the ball and he happened to score the open, albeit from a set-piece. And then you got Nathan Ake on the other side, who I think is brilliant and can, you know, you can envisage him playing as a wing-back. You know, he could play wing-back or centre-back. So he's exactly the kind of player who could play that role. Um, it does change things in terms of your central midfield. I mean, they've got to be really disciplined defensively and basically just stay in those positions. And indeed, Bournemouth have, have got those players. So you can see a side like Bournemouth maybe bring it in a little bit more. Um, but yeah, you need you need players with quite specific attributes, I think. But yeah, of course, City, I mean, with Kyle Walker, he's the kind of player, again, who has played centre-back and wing-back. So you need players who can play both, I guess. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting. It's it's effectively, I think, a ploy that that United Sheffield United used really well, because the the aim is something that other teams have solved in a different way, which is effectively to create a kind of triangle of passing options out wide to create space for either a cross that comes from the widest of those players, or feeding the ball back inside. And, and Sheffield United love to play a kind of curved cross in from the the right half space mm. that the strikers then attack and that was that was something that they did very very regularly last season and and very very effectively finding that little pocket of space but you only find that pocket of space by creating it with an overload and and it's I think what was interesting about it was that a lot of teams want to try and create those overloads in those spaces in order to generate a free man to deliver across and Wilder's innovation was to use players that you would never really have expected to be the ones that are helping to, to generate that. Right. Um, so I think, you know, you, you can, I and mean, Bournemouth is an interesting example because I, I think those players would absolutely be able to do it. City could do it if if Walker was playing as a right-sided centre-back. They probably don't actually have a left-sided centre-back at the moment who would be capable of doing that. Uh, and Oh, no, not again. <laughs> I mean, maybe Mendy will maybe maybe Mendy will play as a left-sided centre back, and we'll see that. But it's 
I think there's a I, loud drilling noise. Sorry about that. Are we we're nearly done. Um, but we're I, nearly done. you know, I, I think it's it's oh. again sort of not dissimilar to this thing that we were talking about in terms of of trying to find ways to solve specific problems predicated on the players that you have available. Mm. And I think Wilder looked at, at the players that he had and also looked at, at the fact that his his wing backs were particularly good at driving, not dissimilar to Wolves' wingbacks, actually, really good at driving inside and shooting and creating opportunities from a kind of an inverted fullback wingback position and thought, let's, let's see if it works because he's got people that can do that. Mm. I think that's the crucial point. All right, well, that's our five questions out. Michael, thank you so much for coming in. Really appreciate it and lend, lending us your uh, vast tactical knowledge. Uh, people should go and listen listen to you read what you're writing at The Athletic and also they should buy your books should, shouldn't they Michael they should buy your books yeah if, if they want to do so one's a, one's a kind they of should. history of the Premier League and one's about European uh, football style yeah. so yeah I think you... we've got one of them here and if you are hey. watching oh look it's next to Michael what a lovely ever you can hold that up for the camera there the lovely mixer stuff. yeah it's a good it's see a what good edition one, it is Oh, you haven't broken it. We've got to Ooh, break the back five. to pretend that we've read it before he's come. But we, haven't, we haven't done that. I look after my books, actually. Yeah. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Barbaric to write in your books or tear the spines up. I don't mind. Uh, thank you again for coming in. And hopefully we'll see you again soon. Yeah, nice one. Thanks for inviting me. Okay, it's the end of the podcast now. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. Thank you to Alex for attending. Hey. Hey. That's what, you know. That's what you're employed to do. Uh, in part, yes. Thanks to Michael Cox for coming along. Very much appreciated. What a brain that man has. It's called a tactics mind. <laughs> I think. Uh, before we go, uh, last week I told people to download the Matchpoint app and join me in a league of prediction, which many of you did. Thank you. There's still time to do it, by the way. It runs all season. You don't need to have started before the weekend. So if you haven't done, get involved now. I'm looking at it here. Um... You can do that by, well, you can download it on iOS or on Android. Match Pint, incidentally, if you're in an area, you put in what game you want to see, and it tells you the closest and best pub to go and watch it in. And it's incredibly useful for people who either don't normally go to pubs or who are in a foreign city, for example. Foreign to them, i.e. Manchester from Liverpool. That's not foreign, is it? That's just not. It's definitely not. Well, that's no, just different. Foreign, foreign can mean, un, like... Unknown. Unknown. Yeah. 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 Unknown. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the point of this game is to predict various scores. And I thought I was nailed on. <laughs> I didn't do very well. The app actually tells me, uh, unlucky pal. <laughs> You've got an app throwing shade at you so for not knowing good. anything about football. Thanks, Matchpint. Uh, but loads of you joined the league. And I can't, I'm, well, I'm going to tell you what my scores were first. Uh, for Liverpool-Norwich, I predicted 3-1. It was 4-1. I thought, not, tell not you what, bad. that's a good start to the weekend. Auspicious. I got 10 points for that. <clears throat> for West Ham Man City, I, I predicted 2-0 Man City. Yeah, I still got 10 points. Because I got the re- I got the result right, not the score. Yeah. Well, you got one half of the score, right? Tottenham Aston Villa, I predicted 2-1 Tottenham. Right. So at this point, I'm thinking, God, I've done pretty well here. Yeah. Newcastle Arsenal. For some reason, I thought Newcastle would win 2-1. Oh, you're an idiot then. <laughs> and then I thought Man United Chelsea would be 1-1. Right. But I don't think anyone that's, could have predicted That's quite that. reasonable. That's yeah. fine. And so in my league, oh God, I'm 64th of 82 people. Wow. That's bad, isn't it? Yes, yeah, quite bad. Jordan F is number one. Go Jordan. You've got two perfect. You've got wow. 90 points. Mark H, Jack K, Harvey N, Tom A, all on 80. 
Oh, God, I'm so low down. <laughs> Do download it. Uh, my friend Pete works over there. I think it's really good. We love it. Also, we are doing a pub quiz. Did you know that? Uh, I did, because we talked about organising it. That's just how I start the adverts. Uh, all yeah. of the adverts we do for anything. Okay, I say something, and then I say, did you know that? Yeah. And you say yes most of the time, because yeah. you did already know it. Yeah. But people listening, if you live in London, or indeed if you live in you know, Azerbaijan and you want to come on holiday, for Monday the 16th of September, yep. at the Old Red Lion Theatre, long-time listeners will know that that's where we spent time during the World Cup. Uh, it's a lovely pub in Angel Islington, North mm. London, about one minute away from the Angel Tube Station. Yeah, It's a theatre as well, but there's no theatre on that night, which is why we're doing it. Downstairs in the pub. And I think we have... Half the tickets have gone already. But I think we have 40 places available. Mm. And basically, there will be a link in the description of this podcast on YouTube or wherever you've downloaded it. Uh, it will be on our website, probably. And it will be on the Old Red Lion Theatre's website as well. Monday, the 16th of September. Tickets are £2. The reason for that is the £2 entry fee per person will go towards the prize money. We're not making any money, unfortunately. And also, I don't want people to say that they're going to come and reserve spots and then not come. Uh, and also, I'm a bit worried that too many people might come. Mm. So that's why. But teams of four. So if you can get it together in teams of four... Uh, go online and buy your £2 each ticket. Also, if you want to come on your own, do buy a ticket anyway and then send me or Alex a tweet and we will add you to a list of stragglers who we can gather together, a sort of crop of, you know, we can develop new Misfits. groups of people. Misfits, yeah. yeah. Go to our Twitter. Go to the description of this podcast. Go to the oldredlionthetre.co.uk website. Go to tifofootball.com. And I hope that we will have, have our shit together to have the link there available for you to buy tickets. It's the Monday, the 16th of September. It is in London. Um, but do come along um, and, you know, try to get it in your, your groups. Teams of four, absolute maximum. You can't have more than that because the tables won't accommodate more. That's mm. why. But if you show up in a team of five, one of you's getting cut loose to go and be with another team. So don't do that. Thank you for listening watching and uh, participating and we'll uh, be back next week with something or other which resembles this goodbye <laughs>